Have you ever played follow the leader? No? Did someone say no out there? You've never played Follow the Leader? It's like one of the most basic and simple games you learn how to play when you're a kid. Let's play Follow the Leader, right? Easy. It's all fun and games. The person who leads starts doing something funny. They walk around and everyone behind them follows the leader until they change and so forth. It's all fun and games until, of course, it's your turn to lead. Everybody wants to be a leader when you play that game, right? Oh, my turn, my turn. But one of the things that you find when you become the leader is that it's kind of tough to lead after a while. You run out of cool things to do and to say. You know, there's different variations of this game. You've probably played them. Let's see. Yeah, Simon says, right? Simon says, pat your belly. Uh, now stop. And the Simon says, there's monkey see, monkey do, right? Monkey see. You ever play that? No? Never play that? Oh, it's real easy. <laughs> And they have these other variations. I don't know if you've ever seen this one, where people stand in a circle, and they take somebody out, and while they're out of the room, they decide who the leader is, and then they bring that person back in. And their job is to guess who the leader is, but everyone is doing the same thing. Everyone knows, and then while that person's not looking, they change. And everyone, have you ever seen that game? Just, yeah, you play that game, and then the person's looking around, they don't know who the leader is, because everyone's doing it, and they simultaneously change. It's kind of fun. Uh, for the person who's trying to guess, it's no fun at all. It's a basic game, and you know why we're so good at playing it? It's because we're sort of hardwired to imitate. We're hardwired, we're sort of designed and created to imitate. We were designed to follow. It's true, it's true. You learn this, uh, if you've ever had a baby, or been, if you've held a baby, you learn that after a few weeks, they can imitate what you do. You smile, you, they, they'll tend to smile too. Uh, eventually they get bigger and they wave and they learn from you, they imitate. We were designed and created to follow. Uh, it, it's just kind of part of our DNA. In fact, it's hardwired to your neurological system. So if I were to yawn right now, there's a few of you who are going to fight the urge to do it to eat, whether or not you're sleepy. Now, my guess is you probably are sleepy. So if you yawn, it's okay. I won't hold it against you. But just looking at somebody yawning will give you this urge. We are hardwired neurologically to follow. You know why that is? It's because it's in our design. We were designed, we were created to follow the leader. The problem is we don't always know who to follow. We don't always know who the leader is. The last month, in, in the month of February, we were having a conversation here on our campus about our design, our intention, how God made us to be. And I'm going to bring you up to speed if you weren't here. And if you were here, this was a good refresher course of what we were talking about. We learned in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, come on, Layla, where are you? In the beginning... <laughs> God, that's right. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1-1. Don't ever forget that. In the beginning, God. We learn that when God made us, he created us in his image. And God said, Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our image. We were designed, we were made in the image of God to be like him. Uh, we were designed and created to exist in community. God says, let's make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. We were designed to, uh, to follow this pattern of him, to be similar to him in this capacity that he exists in community. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we were created to live in community. <clears throat> And we were designed and created to be connected to God. So um, 
Yeah, I forgot the disclaimer. Uh, let me just make sure I let you know how this works. If you came into church today, uh, and this is your first time here, you're visiting, uh, this isn't really for you. This is for you who come all the time and you just, you get a bulletin, right? At the door, someone said, happy Sabbath, and you got it, and you look at it on the back page is blank. You see it? And you're like, well, what a waste of paper. Well, whether it's a waste or not, it's up to you. Because we put it on purpose so you could take notes. So you could take notes. I think, uh, I think it was Ben Franklin that said, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. So if you want to remember anything, you should write it down. Now, I'm telling you this because I'm the worst note taker. But I have found that whenever I do take notes, I actually tend to learn stuff better or retain it longer. So that's why we give you that little blank piece of paper, right? So <laughs> today is probably going to be one of your last chances to use it, just FYI. <laughs> and it's be a good day because I, I put the slides on the screen so you don't have to listen. You just read words in red, important, ma'am. Okay, so if you want to make advantage of the paper and what we're doing together, you just write down things that matter to you. All right, here we go. All right, real, real brief. Again, we are made. You were made. We were all made in the image of God to be like him. We were designed to exist in community. We have an innate a desire for people, for relationships, because we were designed to be in relationship with him. In fact, we were created to be constantly connected to God. Amen? Does it sound cool? I think it does. That's the way the Bible depicts what we read in Genesis 1, 2, just before we get to chapter 3. We read that God sort of related to us. We related to him. We were all one big, happy family. It's the way that God intended it to be. A couple of weeks ago, I read here uh, how... Um, um, we're obviously not like that anymore. Something happened. Sin and leaving the Garden of Eden kind of messed things up for us. And we've been trying to find our way back. That's our origin story. It's where we began. We're somewhere in the middle. And God is trying to bring us back to that. And I read to you a quote. But today I'm going to put it on the screen because <clears throat> I, I find it really important. It's from a book called Life in the Spirit by Robertson McQuilkin. And this is what he says. This is how he describes the normal Christian life as opposed to the average Christian life. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. This is what he says, in his opinion, but I tend to agree with him, is the way your life and my life is supposed to be like. Okay, let's see if you, if you like any of this, okay? This is what he says. God designs us to overcome temptation, to consistently obey his laws, and grow in self-control, contentment, humility, and courage. Okay. So if you're new to uh, attending church, or even if you're a long-time member, here's kind of how it works. When we read the Word of God, or whenever the preacher says something that you agree with, you have one of two ways to express in your agreement. You can say, Amen, right? Or Amen, with a G on the end, if you're from Latin American country. Or you can say, Uh-huh, right? You can go, Mmm. You can do like a long, Mmm, like it tastes good. You're like, Mmm, all right? And if you really want to encourage the preacher, you say, Come on, preacher, preach on it. You can say, Hallelujah, you can say whatever you want, but I want you to agree if you agree. And don't agree if you don't agree. All right. So if I read something here with this biblical or in this case, this quote that is inspired by the Bible and you agree, you say, mm, or you say, amen. All right. Deal. Deal. And if you do that, maybe I'll keep it short. And if you don't, I'll just keep talking. So this is what he says. He says, we were designed to be this way. And if we were somehow able to capture that, this is what it would look like. This is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. The normal Christian life. Look, God designs us to overcome temptation. 
Nobody? All right, you're like, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Temptation? Okay, that's fine. But God designs us to overcome. God designed us to consistently obey his laws. Mmm, that one's more like, mmm, I don't know if I want to. Okay, God designed us to grow in self-control. Grow in self-control. To be content and have humility and courage. All right, so you all don't know how to play this game. All right, don't worry, you'll get more chances. He says, he intends for us, for our thought processes to be so obedient to the Spirit and so attuned to Scripture that we authentically reflect Jesus' behavior and attitude. What he's saying here is, if it all works right, you know, have you ever heard that expression, I want to be more like Christ, I want to be more, become like Christ. Well, he's saying that if it really works, that actually happens. That you actually begin to reflect Jesus' attitude and behavior. We literally don't have to look at the bracelet and say, well, what would Jesus do? It would just sort of happen. It, because we're so in tune with God in the scriptures that we know, this is how we function. Amen? He says this. He says, in the normal Christian life, God has first place in our lives. We value the welfare of others above our own selfish desires. In, in the normal Christian life, spirit-filled Christians have power, not only for godly living, but also for effective service in the church. Amen. I'm going to say amen to that. But above all, we have the joy of constant companionship with God. You like that? Now, here's the question. Does that describe you? Is that where you're at right now? Power, effective service, constant companionship, the joy that comes with constant companionship with, with God. I want to live like that. Don't you? See, I have this sense that in our mind's eye, we, we know that there is something more, that this Christian life promises and, and, and we have tasted and touched it at times. But the average the average Christian life is more, he describes, like morally upright non-Christians. We do some good, not too much bad, but there's very little expectation of transformation. We are just good enough. But the way he describes the way we're designed, we were designed to be so in tune because we're created in the image of God, created to be in relationship with him under the constant companionship of our father, that we would be so in tune with him that power would begin to flow from us. I want to live like that, don't you? See, I think that in this life, we are essentially pursuing that last phrase. We are pursuing joy without the constant companionship of God. Think about it. It's part of our... It's, it's part of our cultural and political DNA that in this country we are afforded certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Amen? Like we, we have that, right? The thing is, though, I, I, I'm not an American. Yet, I mean, I've been living here for a while. My wife reminds me all the time. I do have a green card. So my kids were worried for me a few weeks ago, but I told them, no, no, I think I'll be all right. But I don't know. Like, no, Papa, you're going to get sent back to Bolivia. I was like, well, maybe. Um, but, but I've been in this country for, for, for quite a while. And, and when I got here, I learned that in this country, it's about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I have been pursuing happiness since the mid-80s. 
Maybe you have too. But the thing I found, and I don't know, it might just be me. I might just be the unluckiest green card holder in this country. But I found that in my pursuit of happiness, like I find it and I lose it. And I find it and I lose it. It's like so elusive. You with me? If you're with me, say, mm-hmm. Yeah? Like some weeks, I know it because you, you, you see it on display here. Our lead worshiper is like, I found the happiness. And they're like, oh, this. And other weeks are like, mm, pray for me because, right? It's so elusive. We're pursuing happiness. And, and if you were to come to my house and I were to just go to your house, we actually let you into the rooms where we don't let other people in, such as our closet or the garage there would probably be physical evidence of all the things you have done or acquired in the pursuit of happiness. You with me? All right, let's just, let's just be out with it. All right, let's just be out with it. In the corner of my room, I'm just going to tell you, I don't care. In the corner of my room, I have an elliptical machine. Y'all know what that is? Some of you do, because in your house, it doubles as a clothes hanger. <laughs> It's this thing where you, you know, like this, you do this thing. And it's in the corner there because it promises, hey, if you put me in your room, you're going to exercise every day. And if you exercise every day, you're going to look good. And if you look good, you are going to be happy. Right? That's the promise. Right? There's evidence. But every day that you wake up, you're like... Okay, I gotta go to work. Okay, right? You with me? If I looked into your room, maybe I wouldn't find an elliptical. I might find something else. If I looked in your garage, if you looked in mine, you would see lots of evidence of things bought, purchased, used, and dismissed in the pursuit of happiness. Because this life here, this country, and this life, and in this culture, in this context, has ingrained in us this pursuit of happiness without necessarily the constant companionship of God. You see, we, were, we believe we were one nation under God, but we have now come to believe that he's just up there divorced from us. And the pursuit of happiness is up to us. We, he, he's just up there. But he has nothing to do with us. Right? But that's not our design. That's not how we were made. And that's why in this world, in the place that you and I live, we can have such an up and down, just like everybody else. But according to this gentleman, he thinks that if, if, if we actually captured the way God intended us to be, that we would live like this. Do you want to live like that? I want to live like that. Don't you want to live like that? That we would overcome temptation. Mm-hmm. That we would have humility but courage. You see that? Be humble but courageous. Obedient and self-controlled. That we would have both power and service and the constant companionship of God. Doesn't that sound cool? If it sounds cool, say amen. Don't you want that? Because what amen means is let it be so. Let it be so. Amen. Constant companionship, power and service, humility, but courage. Like, I, I don't know. I dream that when, when, when somebody thinks about me someday when I'm gone, that they would say he was humble, but courageous. Wouldn't that just be cool? Like they don't, they're always kind of a wimp. That's what they're going to say. But I dream that I would be humble, but courageous. That when, that when I was at, at the direction of God, what I did had impact. In the service of mankind, 
That's how we were designed to be. But it's so elusive. I want to live like that. Don't you want to live like that? The thing is, friends, the thing is that the Bible says that it's possible. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just an idea. In fact, what we read in the beginning, in the beginning in Genesis, we discovered that God intends to fully replicate in Revelation at the very end. God is in the process of bringing us from there to there. Right? The Bible tells us that at the end, you know this because you're a good Adventist. You've, you've read Revelation 21 in your life. You know that when, when God comes again and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and this old messed up world, will be, the old order of things will be passed away. And there will be no more tears, as I mentioned before. <laughs> no more pain, no more salad. <laughs> but what will be there? You know what will be there in the, in the new earth, the way the Bible describes it? That we are going to be under the constant presence and companionship of God. In fact, the Bible says that God will be like our sun. And we will live and bask in the glow of his radiance. Doesn't this sound cool? That's what God intends. So that's where we began. That's where our story will complete. But in the meantime, we're in this valley, in the valley of the shadow of death. But even here, David says, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. The Bible says and promises that even here, right where you sit this day, 2017, March 4th, that God can in fact transform you from this average life into the way he intended. Look at this. We read this before as one of our texts. This is from uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, you can look it up for you, those of you guys that are tactile. If you're tactile, open up your own Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Or you can just look at it on the screen. <clears throat> this is what it says. And you know what I put on the screen? Some of y'all just stare at me when I say open up your Bibles. You're like, uh-huh. So I'm like, it might be fake news. You're like, uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, I'll just put it on the screen. You can read. All right, fair. Okay, here we go. This is what it says. But if you don't trust me, and I, you know, why would you? You read it for yourself. You probably bought a Bible or pull it up in your app. Just don't Snapchat me right now, okay? That's my warning to you guys. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is Second Corinthians chapter three. Now the Lord is spirit, and we the and where the spirit is of the Lord is, there is freedom. Somebody say Amen. And this is what it says. And we, that's you and me, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. The Bible says that it is possible because we reflect God and are being transformed. You know what that means? That means going from what you are into something different. When the movie Transformers and actually the cartoon, because I'm a child of the 80s, y'all are with me, right? Optimus Prime, uh, right? Here Autobots, right? Nobody else? Okay. That was like the coolest thing. You could have this truck and it would become a robot. It was like, ah! You could have something that would become something else. But see, this, this, this change, this metamorphosis is something that God has introduced into nature to help us understand the concept of what he's up to in our lives. Transformation. Now, let me help you understand the difference between change and transformation. Change is like I part my hair a different way. I lose a few pounds. Transformation is when I transform, you won't recognize me. It's different.
different. It's not a subtle improvement. It's a complete change, transformation. You see, that's the difference between what people in the average Christian life pursue versus what God actually intends. Most of us think that when we become Christians, there will be minimal increases. I will be a little bit better. I will have a little more self-control. I might be a little bit more faithful. But God's actual intent is that we will be transformed. Think about it. The thing that you right now are completely incapable of doing, you suddenly become awesome at. That's transformation. You see the difference? That's transformation. That's what God intends. So here he says, this is, this is what the Spirit is up to. He is transforming us with ever-increasing glory into his likeness. I know we, we talked about this, but I want to capture that. God said in the very beginning, let us make man in our image and in his likeness. He made us. And now we don't, we've lost that. That's why the Holy Spirit is transforming us back into his likeness. That's our destination. That's the goal here. And the invitation Christ is making this day to you and me is to not settle for the average Christian life and be satisfied with minimal improvements. So my wife and I, okay, just confession time. I don't know why it's just coming out. Uh, my wife and I have been attending a workout class here in town at Bonita. It's a free plug here for, um, it's called Extreme Fitness. And uh, um, <clears throat> they have these kettlebells. Do you guys know what that is? Like a, it looks like a giant ball like this and it has a handle on it and you do these funny things with it uh, and and uh, someone told my wife she went and she's like come with me and I was like I'm not gonna go to that but but we've been going um, and you get in the room and they yell at you and you have to do all these things uh, and then you're out of breath but the idea is that if you keep it up your body will be transformed right okay the problem is many people including myself go to these classes so infrequently and so without commitment that we settle for small increases. I went from a 15 pound to a 20 pound. I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying small increases, right? But the idea is that you would be transformed, completely changed. And you know that there's another gym in uh, Chula Vista who has transformation camps. Y'all heard about the transformation challenge in Chula Vista? They're like, give us this much time and this much money and we will transform your body. That's what they say. Because we don't want just nominal increases. We want to be different, right? We want to change. Like when I go to this thing, I see the, the what do you call it, the trainer? And you're like, I want to look like that, right? And then they have all these mirrors and you're like, oh, I don't look like that. <laughs> right? And you come back next week, you're like, I look pretty much the same. When, when, I, when do I get to look like that? Well, that's the idea here. There's a gap between what I'm capable of and what I can become. And this gap is, cannot be crossed by my own effort. No matter how many kettlebell, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't cross that way. The gap between God's design and where we are can only be crossed by the Spirit. See that? By the Spirit. That's why Jesus sent him to us. Jesus says, and I will send you the spirit and he will convict you of, of all the wrong things and he will guide you and lead you into all truth. We've been studying this every day, at the, every Saturday at the Connected Life. You should come. 
We've been reading about this. We've been talking about this. This is God's invitation and his promise to us. Look at this. Romans uh, puts it this way. For in the gospel, there is a righteousness from God that is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, there's this invitation God is making to transform us. And just as I said, you're like, yeah, I want to be transformed. I want to be transformed. But how? But how? When I go to the gym, he says, you got to lift more weights. You got to squat deeper, deeper, he says, and it hurts. More and deeper. But the Bible says, if you want to be transformed, if you want to go from where you are, this up and down average Christian life, to the true deal, you got to let the Holy Spirit do it. But how, Pastor? How? That's the question. How? And the answer is right there, written in red. you got to live by faith. And of course, this is for Layla. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. The righteous will live by faith. Back to Deuteronomy, Layla. <laughs> No, she was like, we were there all year last year. Okay, um, the righteous will live by faith. And the minute I said that, you probably somewhere in your heart, you were like, amen, right? You're like, yeah, faith, faith. But the thing is, friends, what is faith? Do you know? Have you got a grip on that? Do you understand it? Are you living by faith? What is faith? See, I think this is such a familiar word and concept that it's probably misused or misapplied or misunderstood by most of us. We talk about faith in various different ways. We talk about it as a concept, an object, a verb. We'll say things like, I'm a person of faith. Yeah? What does that mean? Oh, that I believe in God? Oh, I'm a, uh, I go to church? Is that it? Is that living by faith? You're here? Is that it? Some people say, oh, I have a living faith. Well, what does that mean? It literally like goes around, does stuff, and comes back. What does it do? I don't understand. We think, we think about it as a theological construct. Oh, to have faith, and, and it's an abstract idea. But I actually believe that faith is less an idea. It is more about a person, a relationship with a person. So last weekend I was in here. Pastor Kayla was steering the ship gracefully, beautifully. I was with uh, a group of junior high students uh, at a junior high Baba camp, um, just uh, 30 minutes out of town. And I'll just be honest, because some of them are here. When I was invited, I said yes, but I was terrified. Terrified. Would you trade places with me? About like 50 seventh and eighth graders for a whole weekend. I was terrified. Um, I love these kids, but they're intimidating. And I was given the job. Uh, oh, the theme is uh, faith on fire. So go out there and light their faith on fire. And I was like, okay, I'll bring a lighter and we'll see what happens. Because what does that mean? Faith, oh, my faith is on fire. I don't know what that means. And we are supposed to deconstruct this and like find an explanation. And as I was wrestling, I did not know what to say. I had already agreed, but I was like, what am I going to do? But I had a great time here. I uh, brought you a picture. Yeah, there's some of our uh, kids from church are there, so I promised I'd bring that. There I'm in the corner. 
Yeah, so I didn't just skip church, you know, for fun. Like, you know, I, I, I was doing some. I just want you to know. Because every time I'm not here, someone says, Pastor, where were you last week? I was like, I, 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 was, I, was, I was doing stuff. Okay, so, um, yeah, there I am. The kids are there. We had this great time as we were talking about this idea. And what I, I proposed to them and I proposed to you is that faith is not a, 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 an idea, a concept. Faith is a relationship. And it's about a person. See, what I've come to believe about faith is that... Um, we all trust somebody. The question is who and how much? We all trust somebody. The question is who and how much? I used this example for service, but since Joe is here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lay it down to you. This morning, this evidence, you all trusted somebody before you came in this morning. This morning, I was getting dressed, and I put on this tie, and I looked in the mirror, and I was like, this don't look right, I said to myself. And um, I... I got another tie, a blue one, and I actually brought it to church, tied it, and I couldn't decide. So I come into the sanctuary this morning, and I was like, I can't decide. And I asked my wife, who's usually my, you know, fashion conscious, I, I was like, which one? She's like, ah, don't ask me. And then I looked at Jojo, who was sitting there. I was like, Joseph, which one? He's like, go the white one. There's too much blue already. So I was like, okay, I'll trust you. So I told him, you're responsible for me looking this good. <laughs> but was he right? Uh, no, you're just being too kind. Was he wrong? I think it's floating like it's a ghost tie just floating around. And I don't know. But what I'm saying is we all trust somebody. Sometimes the only person we trust is ourselves, right? No, you look good in that. No, do I? Do, no, I don't really. Yes, you do. No, no, I think it makes me look fat. No, yes, look. No, we all trust somebody. You trust somebody's evaluation of you at work. You're doing a good job. You're due for a promotion. You trust somebody's evaluation of your personal worth. I don't like you. You're no good for me. You don't make me happy. You see what I'm saying? We all trust somebody. The question is who and how much. The question is who and how much. And what I believe about faith, faith is an invitation to trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to invite you to do right now is to follow the leader. Turn in your Bibles, please. <laughs> to Matthew. Matthew. I'm going to do the old-fashioned here. Matthew chapter uh, chapter 4. Familiar verse, chapter 4. Okay, but I see some of y'all are staring at me, so I guess I'll have to put it on the screen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. This is what it says. You'll remember the story. The Bible says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Somebody say, led by the Spirit. There you go. We're going to led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You remember the story, the temptation of Jesus? Okay. <clears throat> and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the Bible says... <clears throat> That the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You remember the story? Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry, even just an average person. And now he's stepping into his intention, his purpose from an average to what he's really meant to be. And he's stepping into, he's been baptized, the Holy Spirit has descended. And now he goes off and he's in the desert in preparation and prayer. And he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So to say that he was hungry is probably, mm, I don't know, underestimating it a bit. I would say he was more like hangry, right? Y'all with me on that one? 
Like right now, some of you guys, I've been fasting since like 9 a.m., Pastor. I'm getting that. I'm going from hungry to hangry, right? I know. It's, it happens in about four minutes. You'll be like, ah! <laughs> Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. 40 days? Can you think about that? 40 days? And the tempter comes and it says, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Feed yourself. You can do it. Turn the stones into bread. Jesus is being tempted. What does Jesus answer? It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? What is faith? See, what is faith? We're going to follow the leader here. If we are meant to go from, from where we are to be transformed, and we're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, how do we access that power? Through faith. And what is faith? According to this gentleman that I'm reading here, but I think it's found in the scriptures that we just read, faith means these things. Faith means believing what God has said. There Jesus says, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I will believe what has come out of the mouth of God, Jesus says. The tempter says, you can do it. And he says, I will believe what has come out of the mouth of God. Faith is deciding who I will trust. And in this case, Jesus is trusting God, God the Father. And the same choice is available to you today. Who are you going to trust? CNN, Fox News, or the mouth of God? Your choice. Faith is believing <clears throat> what God has said. <clears throat> Jesus answered, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look at the next verse. Oh, before we get there, <clears throat> I noticed this also when Jesus made that request. He says, man does not live by bread alone. For a moment there, the fact that he trusted God, he had to deal with the hunger. He had to deal with the immediate nature of his need, right? And the tempter saying, yeah, you could turn these things into, the stones into bread. So while Jesus claims, no, no, I believe God, I believe the word of God, but then he also had to deal with his circumstances. In other words, he had to put some kind of a trust into God's words versus his own options. So he says here, man does not live by bread alone. He's sort of saying, I know this is what I probably want. It looks good, but I need to trust what God is saying. So he rejects, listen to this, he rejects what's available to him in lieu of what God would give him. So... Faith means, this is a, uh, also a quote from um, author McQuilkin, faith means choosing to trust God by putting your life in his hands even when everything seems to be going wrong. You see the two steps here? Because it's one thing to say, I believe the words of God. When I read the Bible, you're probably all saying amen. But faith actually means choosing who you're going to believe and then choosing to trust what he said even when everything seems to be going wrong. Look, there's Jesus. He's been hungry for 40 days and here's this moment he has to make a decision not just to claim that Jesus that, that, that he believes in God but that he will let God provide rather than exercise his own options 
choosing to trust God by putting, that's why I like the songs we're singing today. They're affirmations that I'm going to trust God even when it doesn't look like it's going my way. Even when I don't get the answer, even if you don't move the mountains I'm asking you to move, I will trust in you. You see that? That's why um, these songs matter. They're proclamations of what it means to have faith. Choosing to trust God. And that's the question I have for you. If you want to be transformed, if you want to access that power, it's not enough to just say, I believe in the word of God. Now you have to put some action behind that. Can you trust what he says in his word, even when it doesn't seem to be going your way? The tempter comes back to him and he says... Okay, fine. You got over that one. The devil takes him up. <clears throat> this is verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes. Your devil's smart. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The devil says, okay, if you are the son of God, throw yourself from here because it is written. You said it is written. It is, written. It is not enough just to know the word. Did you hear that? It is not, the devil knows the Bible better than you. Scripture memorization is very useful, but it's not enough. Faith isn't just, I know what to say. Faith means I choose to believe him. I choose to put trust in him, even when things don't seem to be going my way. And I will have confidence. So Jesus says this. Jesus responds to him and says, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God your test. Don't mess with God. <laughs> I love Jesus. Don't mess with God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Faith means placing your confidence in his love and knowledge of you and his ability to order your life for your greater blessing. That song that we just sang, Give me faith to trust in your will that you know better than I. See, that's the thing about following the leader. When we're playing the game, you want to be the leader. We all do because we think we can do it better. Faith is deciding who the leader will be and then trusting that that leader is going to take us to greater and better blessings than the ones we can muster ourselves. You get that? Yes? Yes? So so uh, the devil says, throw yourself down and, and the angels will come and Jesus says, don't test God. I trust him. He will provide greater blessing for me than what you can do right now. And lastly, the devil says, okay, fine. This is uh, <clears throat> uh, verse 7. I mean, verse 8. And again, the devil took him. Oops, let me do that here. Yeah, Oops, went too far. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He showed him everything. He took Jesus and he says, this is what you want, isn't it? And then he says, this is what you came for. And all of this, I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. The devil says, let's take the easy way out. This is what you came for. You came to save the world here. I'll give it over to you if you would just bow down and worship me. All this I will give to you. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see the difference there? Worship me or serve him. It's not both. It's one or the other. Faith means believing what God has said, trusting him by my actions and in those trusts I build confidence I build confidence to know that he has better things in mind for me than I can do for myself and eventually that allows me hello can I do it oh I'm stuck oh 
I'm still working. Okay, that's fine. Here we go. You can't stop me, devil. I'm still going to preach on this. So wherever you are, get lost. Faith means when I've trusted God, when I have exercised these, this trust by placing my faith in him, by saying, okay, I'll do what you say, God, little by little, it will build confidence until I get to the point where I can yield my will to his. That's the ultimate expression. You see, what we said earlier was that God designed us to be under his constant companionship, that we would have power and authority and humility and courage because we would naturally, out of the overflow of our relationship with him, act and behave just like Jesus. The only way that can happen is if our will goes by the wayside. Because you and I don't want to do what Jesus does. We don't. Jesus says, love your neighbor. You're like, I don't even want to talk to him. Hmm? Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. You're like, no. I want them to get what's coming to them. You see, that's our will. That's our, that's our will. And the only way we can change, become transformed, is if our will yields to His. So, no, it doesn't work, but I'm just going to tell you. This is what you can write down in your notes. <laughs> Faith, believing what God has said, choosing to trust God, having confidence in His love, and yielding to his will. Yielding to his will. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And you know what the devil did after that? He left. You see that? Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. He's like, well, can't do anything here. <laughs> Don't you want that? Don't you want to live like that? Don't you want the devil to come mess with you? And after he's trying to mess with you, he goes, ah, dang it, I can't do anything with you. I'm going to leave you alone. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Instead of having him constantly barrage you with questions of self-doubt and guilt and shame. Oh, that the devil would leave you and that you would instead feel freedom. Don't you want to live like that? It's possible. The Bible says so. I'm not telling you, I'm not promising that you can create or achieve human perfection. What I am telling you is that you can achieve supernatural transformation by the glory and the power of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to start by believing in Him. And it all begins with the Word. Every word out of the mouth of God. It starts right here, friends. It starts right here. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the Word of God. It starts right here. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The word, transformation, your new life begins here. It begins here. Every word. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. I want to have the joy of the constant companionship of God. I want to be close to my Father. I want his presence to be like my son. That it gives me radiance. It gives me warmth. It gives me energy. It gives me purpose. It gives me life. That's the invitation that Jesus is making to you and to me today. Would you please stand and sing with us our closing song?